What's going on today? Thanks for stopping by. This episode of the podcast is proudly brought to you by Muskoka Spray Foam Insulation. If you need your home spray foamed, be sure to check out msfi.ca today. Drew and the crew are waiting to hear from you. By Highland Custom Builders, your vision built custom. By Kyle Outrich Productions, if you need custom graphic work, merchandise, or anything for your big event, be sure to check out Kyle Outrich Productions today. Find them on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you name it, they're there for you for your custom graphic work. And lastly, we're brought to you by Manscaped. Be sure to check out the gold standard in men's grooming by heading over to manscaped.com. Find what you need. Be sure to check out the Lawn Mower 3.0. And when you get ready to check out, use the offside code OFFSIDE20 to get yourself 20% off on your purchase. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's go. Are you ready to go offside? Because it's Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sitting down with another treat right now, right here, with Kevin Northup of Eastling TV. He covers the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and boys and girls. I cannot speak today. It's been a busy one around these parts. Also covering junior hockey, the MHL, and of course a hockey fan in general. Kevin, how's the day treating you? Hey James, uh, thanks so much for having me on. It's going well. It's uh, a little bit overcast down here in Yarmouth right now. That's where I've been uh, located uh, for the past uh, couple of months. Uh, but they're pretty good. Hope things are good on your end, too. They're not too bad. We're here in Halifax. I'm just sitting actually at the BMO Center in Bedford, and it is actually beautiful and sunny, so I won't rub that in too far. <laughs> it seems like the city always gets the sun, and we always get the fog down here in Yarmouth. That's, uh, but that's okay. I guess it comes with the territory down here. That's the truth. Well, you know what? The best place in the, the entire province is the valley. They always seem to get the sun. Usually, and that's where I'm from. So it's uh, it's all hot there. Uh, that's that's where you know they call it God's country. They really do. Just when the sun hits that area just right, it's it's, it's unbelievable. But uh, you know, it's a little cooler down here in Yarm in the summer. So I don't I don't hate that. <laughs> no, you know what? The cooler weather for the past couple of days actually hasn't been bad, considering what I do, driving a cylinder truck for a living. You know, the, the heat and rolling bottles is not exactly the uh, the best combination, so I'll take the cooler weather. Oh, I, I would too in that situation. Luckily, I don't have to do any any heavy lifting or driving a big truck, so that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kevin, I want to have you on, obviously. Everybody sees you in this neck of the woods on Eastlink TV, talking about the Q, talking about the NHL, you know, junior hockey around the area. You know, I had a couple of your colleagues, uh, like John Seitman, on, and I want to have you on because, obviously... There's a lot of buzz right now with the NHL coming back with its return to play and then wondering how that trickles down to junior hockey. I want to get your initial thoughts. What are your thoughts on the NHL's model of return to play and can it be a formidable one for the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and Hockey Nova Scotia in a whole? I'm hoping that uh, you know the Q can come back, obviously. Um, they're talking about early October. I know the, the MHL has, has talked about a return to play plan, but, you know, it's all based on how every health authority in each province, uh, you know, works hand in hand with these leagues. Uh, as far as the, the NHL goes, uh, I mean, I want to see hockey back, obviously, but I'm, I'm a little bit worried about how things are going to go there, especially with, you know, all the positive uh, 
COVID-19 cases we're seeing uh, throughout uh, the athletes. I think they had nine new ones uh, yesterday. So, uh, And the fact that they're making that information pretty private in the NHL as well. I mean, what's going to happen when, when we're watching a game and say, you know, it's Leafs against the Jackets in the opening round and all of a sudden there's Mitch Murder, where's Austin Matthews, you know, what, what's happened and w- would they be public about that information? I don't think they would. I mean, people would have to kind of play that, that guessing game, but overall it's, it's about the safety of the players, the safety of, you know, everyone involved and, and if the Q or the MHL are going to come back, it's a bit different obviously than the NHL. Uh, I think they do need, uh, you know, some fans in the stands and hopefully by the fall uh, we won't be going through a second wave. We certainly hope that's not going to happen and hopefully some fans can can come into the building. So I think that, uh, you know, it could work with some fans in the building, but if that's not going to be the case, then we may have to wait a little bit longer to see junior hockey back. Well, to touch on a couple of things you said there, obviously there was a a joking tweet, I think it was by Pierre Lebrun um, talking about, actually it was John Shannon, he said, um, you know, what are you going to call the injury? Is it going to be an upper body injury or a lower body injury when they start having guys drop out because of the coronavirus because they're not going to disclose it? And I mean, not to make light of the coronavirus and, and make it, you know, a joke about it, but obviously we know this is going to happen. So how are they going to handle it? You're right. And I would like them to disclose. They don't have to disclose the player, but I would like them to say someone on X team has tested positive, and then you can deduce from there who it is, obviously, if they're not in the lineup. Um, I don't like the Steve Simmons route, where he outed Austin Matthews and basically blasted it all over just for a few cheap clicks and a few likes. I don't like that avenue. I do believe that people's health information should be private, but um, if you're in that bubble um, and everybody knows that you're there, obviously if you're dropping out and you don't have any glaring injury a la broken rib or, you know, a strained groin or something like that, then I think it should be team-specific. Like, say, the Toronto Maple Leafs have a player who tested positive, and like I said, you can deduce from there who it is and who's not in the lineup anymore. But it's going to be very trial and error, um, especially for the MHL, especially for the Q. Um, I think having fans in the building, obviously both leagues are kind of gate-driven, so you're going to need those fans there um, to help those leagues along. And I don't know, if we do get in that second wave, I don't think you'll be able to have anyone in the building. And I'm wondering, for your perspective, do you think they can survive a season without the revenue from the gate? I mean, it's so important to have fans in the stands, and that's where a lot of the revenue comes from for these these junior hockey teams. So... I just don't see how, uh, you know, they can survive after that. I mean, I'm not a financial finances guy, but the business side of it, I just show up and call the game <laughs> and I, I talk about the players and, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's, that's my route and, and, and I love it. Uh, so, you know, the financial business side of things, I'm not uh, really the guy to ask about that. But, uh, but again, you know, you, you see it and you, you see the gates and, and how important it is to those franchises to, to make money that way and, if that avenue is taken away, I don't know if, if you know government help is going to come through. Uh, that's another option maybe they're looking at. I, I did have a sit-down with uh, Michelle Cortell, the uh, commissioner of the QMJHL, a couple of weeks ago. It is airing on Eastlink Magazine uh, this week. Uh, and just talking about, you know, these, these, different, uh, these different questions. And, and uh, Mr. Cortell said the Q has a committee 
of about 40 people, you know, working on, on plans and, and to see what's going to happen. And it's, it's, you know, three different, four different provinces they have to, they have to look at. So everything's different. I, I asked, you know, what if maybe for the first half of the season, all the Maritimes teams would play each other and all the Quebec teams play each other. And then when restrictions loosen up a bit more, they could have that uh, Quebec versus Maritimes. Uh, part of the schedule in the latter half of the season. And he said, you know, it's, yeah, it's something we're looking at. We're looking at all different options. This is an unprecedented time. He wants to see the puck drop in October, but obviously still uh, a lot of work has to be done before we can get to that point. No, 100% it does. There's a lot of uh, heavy lifting that needs to be done, so to speak. Um, so per se, and I'm just going to throw this out there before we dive into your career and, and just some players around the queue and things like that. If the season does not happen on time, if, if the Q cannot go, if the MHL cannot go, um, just say junior hockey in general across the Maritimes cannot go, how do these kids, how does the growth keep happening? Obviously, for a lot of these guys, these are pivotal years for them in their careers, whether they're going on to college, whether they're going on to the NHL, or whatever, they want to go play overseas, however their career is going to shake out, these are years that are considered the most important in a player's development i'm wondering from your perspective obviously i know you say you call the games but obviously you think about some of these things too so what would your perspective be on what they would do what do you see them having some sort of camp like halifax maybe get their players in maybe i don't know here in dartmouth crossing you know to the uh the new floor pad and have everybody there and just do team scrimmages or how do you see these guys trying to to progress if a year is lost yeah, that's that's an option they'd have to look at. I mean, if they can't play competitive games, and that's where the scouts see all these guys. You know, a, a tournament like uh, like the Ice Jam is so pivotal. Uh, you know, for for the uh, the under eighteen uh, age players um, going, or the under sixteen age players, I should say, uh, going into the QMJHL, and then at the next level, you know, guys like Justin Barron, you know, uh, it's it, it's so so pivotal to have those scouts looking at you and. And now you get noticed in a year when there's no junior hockey. But, you know, James, I like that idea you brought up. Have have many camps, you know, in different areas. If the scouts can't make it there, make sure that you're capturing something on, on video, online somehow, uh, for, for scouts to see. Uh, these are all ideas that are going to have to be looked at. And, and we live in a pretty modern world. Technology's at a, at a pretty good, you know, place right now. So... Uh, obviously, something would have to would have to work out there, and and you'd have to look at at the game uh, of those players played maybe before the season, some game tape there, and, and scouts would have to figure. Well, you hope that this kid is developing, but again, with no with no hockey, with no competitive games, it's certainly a deterrent to uh, to how the game would progress for that individual player. Uh, but you have to take uh, you have to take a route somehow, and and yeah, maybe these these little tournaments me being held at, at different ranks or, or camps uh, would be a way to uh, would be a way to help things uh, it's something that would have to be looked at for sure there's so many different things that are going to be different avenues and maybe different ways of looking at games and you know maybe where you know Nova Scotia PEI and New Brunswick are kind of low on the cases maybe there is a hub city you know kind of take the NHL idea and all the teams come and play there for you know a portion of the schedule like you were saying but actually all of the teams even the quebec teams and just have them sort of sequestered in one area whether it be halifax whether it be 
New Brunswick or wherever there's enough space for them to do it and just play your games out there. At least you'd be able to go up against other teams and, you know, progress your schedule. And if you're down in the COVID cases, maybe that province would be able to allow fans in there. And I guess you can generate revenue for each team, you know, for whatever team is, I guess, playing that, that at that time. You pay for your ticket and that ticket revenue goes to the team. Same with concessions. I'm sure there's things that could be worked out by people far smarter than I, but just ideas, right? you got to surmise everything. And obviously there's going to be a lot of talk and, and things going on. And I think everybody's going to watch the NHL model with a magnifying glass and see what works and what happens and what doesn't. Yeah, and, and you know, we hope that, uh, again, there's no second wave and, you know, back in March, we think there, and we we looked at how bleak things really were with all sports shutting down and all the junior hockey shutting down, and and, and let you know, let's see how far we've come in July. Now we've got the Atlantic bubble, so that's that's really a good thing, um, and hopefully things continue to progress where more people are allowed to gather in, in certain spots and. And that indoor limit is is bumped up by October. I think that's what everyone's kind of banking on right now. So let, let's hope we continue trending in the right direction. Um, but to have a hub city where in a in an area where there's little to no cases of of COVID nineteen, to, to have that revenue sharing like you mentioned, uh, I would be for that absolutely. Because you know, James, as, as I think you would agree with, I just want to see that puck drop. But we've got to do it safely too. I've long said said that I, I was still like I said talked to John Seitman about it and Paul Bromby from Sportsnet. My biggest thing through this whole thing was you should not be able to allow to open a sports league until everyone can be mass tested at the ready, and not just athletes. I mean everyone in public, so that way you can make sure that everyone is safe and healthy because it shouldn't be athletes and celebrities getting first class treatment. It should be across the board. It seems like here, at least in the Maritimes, we're at that level where if you need to get tested or want to get tested, you can. So I'm happy with that, but there's so many things that need to go into everything being safe that, you know, listening to the guys on on Hockey Central, it all has to go off perfectly for it to work. And, you know, right now, if you look at the states, it's not going off perfectly at all. So... You worry and wonder if one bad thing happens during this tournament or during anything, you know, going back to return to play, does it halt everything for one, and two, does it throw everybody's health in jeopardy? And that's not something I think anybody wants to do. No, that's my biggest question, too. You know, what if a clump of cases happen to one team? Uh, That team, do they drop out? Do they postpone the games? Say if they're a qualifying round team, do they have to postpone that? That holds up. Uh, the rest of the process, you know, that they're on track to award the Stanley Cup by early October, but that is, like you said, if everything goes perfectly. And in this life, you know, to, to get things to go perfectly, it's, uh, it can be a stretch sometimes, especially when we're dealing uh, with something as unknown as, as COVID-19. So hoping everything works out. Uh, I'm glad the two hub cities are in Edmonton and Toronto. They're in Canada. Uh, as we know, the States is uh, in quite a mess right now, so uh, getting all those players uh, here to Canada, hopefully get that bubble in there. And, and and you mentioned, yeah, not just the athletes. We need to get everyone tested, and I think the NHL is prepared to do that. Even the hotel employees, all the staff, they're going to get tested every day, all the, all the rink workers. Um, so that's, that's just as important, of course. Yeah, it needs to be widespread. And, I mean, look at it like this, okay? We're talking about needing to go off perfectly without a hitch, without a glitch. 
the year of 2020 so far has absolutely been an ass kicking for everyone. No, uh, no pun intended. I mean, everybody is taking it on the nose somewhere, somehow, some way. So maybe this is the thing that comes back and just starts to allow the feeling of normalcy, the feeling of, hey, you know, there is a light at the end of this tunnel. There is positives to draw. There are ways to get around this now, and we can make it, you know, safe, and we can make things viable, you know, and get people back out. I look at the SARS epidemic when it happened in Toronto, and, you know, the big concert they had to try to get everybody back out and everybody, you know, back united as one. I think maybe, just maybe, hockey might be able to do that, if everything goes off and maybe this is the thing where 2020 finally relents and says, Hey, we're going to let this thing go. <laughs> well, for you and I, we're both big sports fans, obviously. <laughs> and I'm kind of, I'm trying to plan my summer now around, uh, you know, watching sports. If this all happens because uh, the NHL would start August 1st, the NBA is coming back and the Raptors defend their title. I'm excited to see that. Uh, baseball is supposed to be starting July 24th. So that's great. You know, step on, you know, those three leagues coming back at once, and you don't see those three leagues on at once for a whole you know, lot of time during the year, So, especially in the summertime. So this would be a, a new and exciting thing to watch. But, again, I hope it's all done safely. I hope that everything, you know, happens without a hitch. And you hope to see most of the star players, too, uh, because, you know, all, all these players do have an, an option to, to back out of playing in these tournaments if they want to play if they don't want to play, if they don't feel safe. So uh, you, you hope that you see uh, that star power uh, for everyone. Well, we have seen you know players in the MLB, the NFL, and the NBA drop out already. So you have to wonder if that is coming to the NHL. Um, once the deal is ratified, they will have three days to basically opt out. So you'll start seeing players here, I think, by the end of the week, uh, letting their teams know if they're going to be playing. There's some players like a Max Domi who has the diabetes um, you look at another player, um, I think it's Anton Strawman, who has uh, severe asthma. As a person with asthma, I'm very worried about COVID, so I can only imagine where he's at. Um, so you probably will see a few players opt out for health reasons, and you can't fault anybody for doing it. It's your own health, and you know you really only get one kick at this rock. So you know you don't want to catch COVID just because, and next thing you know, you're you know you're ruined for forever. Because obviously it does do some significant damage to your lungs, and even these finely tuned athletes sometimes uh, they don't bounce back. You know they have the problems too. No, it um, it affects everyone differently. You know from what we're hearing, and some some people can have it, and they don't know they have it, but they carry it. Uh, so it's obviously uh, obviously a huge risk there, and it's you know we we think of athletes as as uh, you know superhuman sometimes, but but no one is. So, again, very important that this comes back. It's, it's safe for everybody involved, uh, not just the athletes, but all the workers uh, around them. And, you know, all the social media workers, too. They, they, they're making sure that one uh, social media person, at least, is there for, for every team. So, important that they're safe as well. No, that's a, that's a good thing to have, though. Obviously, bringing them into the fold and making sure they're taken care of. And I like what teams are doing, too, with the making sure that appointments are kept up for family members. You know, groceries are taken care of. And just making sure the family first approach is there. That really uh, hit me in the feels. So I like that aspect of this whole return to play. Yeah, and it's, it's got to be tough, too, for the players to be away from their families. I think they're going to be away from them for, what, you know, five, six weeks uh, at a time. And, and, you know, a lot of these players have, have young children. 
and uh, you know, as a dad myself, that hits home too. So it's uh, you know, it must be tough for them to go in there and, and do that. But um, that's, uh, I guess, uh, the way it is when you're a professional athlete and want to go try to win a championship in these uncertain times. That's the truth. Well, I got to ask you. Obviously, uh, you do the calls for the games. What will make you feel comfortable getting back into a rink? What needs to be in place for Kevin Northam? Well, um, I think social distancing uh, needs to remain a factor. And um, even with uh, with our productions now at, at Eastlink, we've had to take uh, you know drastic measures. We, we did do the MHL draft live uh, a couple of weeks ago. And everything was different. Even though we, we did it in the studio, everyone has to stay six feet apart. Uh, I didn't wear a mask because I was on air. Uh, but when I wasn't on air, I was wearing a mask. Uh, in, in outside in our truck, you know, it's kind of a confined space, so we can only have, you know, a few people in the truck versus we had maybe six or seven in the truck at one time. And, uh, you know, the truck obviously is where everything happens with, with switching, uh, you know, uh, from camera one to camera two, all the, all the graphics that you see on the screen. So we've had to navigate a different way around that. And it's, you know, when live sports do return, I'm, I'm sure those standards will be in place. So it's going to be a bit of a challenge for us uh but for, for me you know what i'm hoping is uh that uh, again everything is, is sanitized and i'll do my part to make sure that happens but you know for example like at, at, at scotiabank center we're calling the games on, on the catwalk so uh you know logan and i are, are pretty much away from from everyone else we don't have anyone else around us so that's you know going to be going to be good uh, i guess whenever uh sports resumes but some areas there are more people around when you're when you're calling a game so uh it'll just be us you know taking those measures to make sure all of our staff are, are safe as well as everyone else uh, in the rank and we will make sure that uh, those measures are in place well i want to make sure you guys are safe and that's the, the biggest thing and it sounds like they're taking the precautions to do so whether it's on air or up on the catwalk or in the scotia bank as well um for me i look at it like this i want everything to come back I want it to happen, but I want it to happen in phases. So whether you start letting in, you know, a quarter of the fans and then half of the fans and then 75%, then to full capacity, um, we know how jam-packed the Scotiabank can get and, you know, how excited people get during Moosehead games or even Thunderbird games for that matter. Obviously, jammed in there, everybody's having a great time. Um, Social distancing during those events will be very difficult to do and I think even at lower capacity, I still think it's going to be difficult. I'm hoping that they up the amount of people you can be around without um, without social distancing. But I guess for the long while, I think it's going to be that way. What do you see the new normal being like when you get back into the rink? What do you see needs to happen and what do you see is going to happen? Well, like you said, it's, it's the new normal and I think it's going to be this way for a while it depends on what uh, you know public health recommends uh, over the next little bit i'm not sure where we'll be uh when they plan to return which is looking like october at this point that again if everything goes well uh but but like i talked about it will have to be that that social distancing people are going to have to wear masks but i'm i don't want to speculate or anything but if you know in the fall and they're talking about maybe a second wave coming for us it might be mandatory that everyone has to wear a mask. That that very well could happen. 
for me, uh, as an on-air person, that would be a, a bit difficult. Uh, I don't think I could wear a mask on air, but every other time, you know, I, I, I could, and I'd have no problem with that. Obviously, it's, it's you know, public health; it, it would be uh, uh, mandated. But uh, you know, for for everyone else, for the fans, like you said, it may have to be that that uh, you know, step by step basis. Get this in phases. Uh, get a quarter of the fans in. Get half the fans in after a while, and and will that be a workable model? for the QMJHL, for the MHL. That's that's another question, too. So I don't see anything returning to complete normal anytime soon until there is a vaccine, until they have this, you know, figured out. Uh, it's it's just not going to be the same. I'm a guy that loves going to uh, the concerts, too. You know, I, I, I live for those, love the, the outdoor concerts. But, again, I don't know how those are going to come back to normalcy anytime soon either so it's, it's it's looking at your life it's looking at doing everything differently and i think that's that's where we're at for the for the next little bit but i'm hoping in in 2021 that uh we'll get back to more of how we were living in in 2019 yeah 2019 right now seems like a long time ago my friend <laughs> <Guts as ever>. <laughs> <laughs> well kevin i gotta ask for for your side of things what got you into hockey? What got you into wanting to be on camera? Obviously, using your voice and your on-air talents. What, you know, struck that match and got you going? It's just something that I've always wanted to do. You know, I, I never played hockey growing up. Um, I was always the kid that was a huge fan, big Toronto Maple Leafs fan uh, growing up. Um, well, you're on the right podcast for that. <laughs> so I've heard. So I've heard. <laughs> Um, you know, I'm a big Matt Sundin fan. I love the days of when they, uh, you know, they had uh, Steve Thomas and Curtis Joseph and and uh, Sergey Berezin and all those guys. Gary Volk's overtime winner against Pittsburgh in '99. I remember that so well. The I'm famous Jonas Hoagland. Oh, uh, Jonas Hoagland, of course. And Robert Reichel, Michael Renberg, all those guys. Those are those are my guys. Those are. Those, those are my elite teams under under Pat Quinn. Uh, just uh, just great memories. Uh, watching that club, and I, maybe my favorite memory of those guys was was O2 when Sundin was out injured, and they go to the semis against Carolina. Alan McCauley and Gary oh, leading the way. Up. Oh, oh. It's just a great run. <laughs> I loved Alan McCauley. I, I, I to this day, I don't think Sundin was 100 percent healthy, and I don't think they should have put him back in. No, and when he came back in that series against Carolina, he didn't really make much of a difference. I know he scored that, that late goal in game six, and, and one of my favorite calls ever from Joe Bowen on that. It was, it was uh, just a really emotional call from him, just such a big league fan and been watching that team for so many years. But I'm, I'm too young to remember 93, and I know how great 93 was, but my leaf years growing up were that, you know, when, when Cujo came and Pat Quinn came and, and the, the run from 98 when they made the playoffs to, to 2004 and, and all that pain and suffering and, you know, after that and, and the collapse against Boston. You know, I'm a Leafs fan. I've been through all of that, and I think the team is finally turning the right corner. But anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, going, going back to, uh, you know, my love for the game, uh, just watching the Leafs, yeah, but having those, um, those NHL games, like, you know, the EA Sports games, I used to turn the commentary off and do it myself. And, you know, I was a kid just kind of doing that, you know, recreating all the all the Bob Cole calls and, and you know, Jim Houston and Gordon Miller and those guys all really was up. And then Chris Cuthbert 
Um, and I knew I wanted to do that someday. I, I said, that's, that's the only thing I want to do with my life. That, that was it. And uh, when I was in high school, I, I did arena announcing for my high school hockey team. And, and I caught even more of the bug. And then I said, well, I, I have to get some, uh, some training for this. So after high school, I went to the Atlantic Media Institute, which is no longer around. It was run by uh, Gary Barker and, and uh, Troy Michael Swinemer at the time. And then A.J. Walling came back in to run it in our last year. And, uh, but that didn't lead me right away to, to hockey. I then went to, uh, to radio down here in Yarmouth. I worked for uh, CJLS uh, for 10 years and on the side called some Yarmouth Mariners games uh, for the MHL. And then just kind of honed my craft. And then eventually in, in 2018, the call came for East Lincoln. And I was just so ecstatic because I, you know, I looked up to, to Dan Robertson and watched all those games. Mooseheads were on. Big Mooseheads fan as a kid too. So it was uh, certainly a special moment to, to get that call. No, well, you talk about Dan Robertson, obviously a friend of the show, been on a couple times. So you're following in the footsteps there again. But for you, obviously, talk about Dan Robertson. Everybody has people they like to emulate. Obviously, we spoke a little bit about Joe Bowen. Is there someone that you like to model yourself after? Um, I know, like we said, Dan Robertson, Joe Bowen, but is there anybody that maybe out of left field that someone might not think of that you look up to and, you know, just take a little bit from? I, I, I try to take a little bit from everyone, I guess, but I, I want to make it my own style. I don't want to sound like, like anybody else, really, but, you know, it, it, I think it's from, from everyone. I, I think I've got a little bit of, uh, you know, Bob Cole. I don't yell, oh, baby, or anything like that. I'm not uh, doing a gimmick infringement or anything. But, uh, you know, <laughs> his, his style was so was so amazing. I mean, he just knew how to tell the story. Um, so, so definitely Bob Cole. Love Joe Bowen, obviously. Um, he gets so excited on his calls and just he, he bleeds blue and white. And uh, when I was doing Mariner games, I, was, I wasn't a homer per se, I tried to give as much enthusiasm to the other team as I possibly could on, on their goal calls, too, because I knew a lot of the parents of the other team would be would be watching those games uh, from Yarmouth. But, you know, a little extra enthusiasm for the home team. When you're the home announcer, I guess that, that's the way it is. I think I've, I've dialed it back just a little bit on, on that excitement, which is what they told me to do, you know, um, uh, for, for television. So, um yeah, Chris Cuthbert, you know, as I mentioned, love love listening to him. Super pumped that he's back uh, with Sportsnet. And, yes. Uh, he'll, be, he'll be on that team now, so that's that's great. Great compliment to, to Jim Houston uh, there. And, you know, I'll be excited to hear to hear his calls for sure. I, and I'm a big Doc Emmerich fan, too. Um, you know, people uh, love or hate Doc, it seems. But, uh, you know, I, I really like the way that uh, he calls the game. And, and, and again, uh, I've always looked up to, to Dan Robertson. I thought he was a superstar, you know, <laughs> growing up, uh, watching him on, on East Link. And I, I got to do a bit of volunteering with East Link in high school. So got to kind of see what his routine was like around uh, around the Metro Center at the time. And it's uh, it's amazing that, that I have that platform now. I, I still have to pinch myself. It's an absolute dream job, and, and, and I love it. Have you reached out to Dan since and spoke with him about it? But yeah, uh, he actually reached out to me uh, uh, last summer, and we kept in uh, communication uh, just a little bit. And he, you know, he, he offered to uh, 
to, I guess, kind of air check me. <laughs> so that's, that's really good. You know, from a guy that worked for East Wing for, for the better part of 15 years, he certainly certainly knew the system. Um, so I'm always great to hear from Dan. Uh, I've heard a little bit from, from Bruce Rainey, too, who, uh, you know, works a little bit for CBC on the Olympics. And he started down here in Yarmouth, too, with CJLS Radio back in the 90s. So he and I have, have that in common, and it's always great to hear from Bruce. Um, and a guy that worked for East Wing for a long time that, that I took a lot of advice from, he moved on last year, but he was our replay guy, Steve McLean. Uh, just uh, he used to be on Harp Sportsland. Just a just a brilliant sports mind, and you know, I, I learned a lot about how to kind of produce a game too. Um, it's not just I learned it's not just showing up and calling the game and knowing your stats. It's about how it looks on television too, the, the presentation of it. And I think I've uh, you know developed my my skills in that more. As time has gone on, when I started, I, I said, okay, so I got to just talk about what you guys are showing on the screen, but now I've learned how to use my, my button back to the truck and kind of, you know, tell them what I'm talking about and, and where I'd like to go next. So it's, uh, it's been a good process, and it's, uh, it's a job that teaches you something new every day. No, it sounds like an interesting one, and it sounds like everyone you surrounded yourself with has made you more well-rounded on air and basically using your voice, like you said, off-air too, to make sure you're following everything in the way that it needs to go and to produce a product that everybody wants to see. And obviously, I've watched the the MHL draft with you. I looked at the Q draft. I mean, you're awesome on TV. It's wicked to watch you, and it's crazy to think I'm sitting here talking to you because obviously somebody sit down and watch. And when I told my daughter that, hey, you know, Kevin that's on the TV there, I'm going to be talking to him soon on the podcast, absolutely ecstatic, can't believe it. She thinks you're a superstar because you're on TV. So, you know, you're already uh, getting entrenched in the young one's minds. Well, that's, that's awesome to hear. It's, uh, it's, it's nice to hear that. But, uh, you know, I, 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 just, I just look at it as I'm a guy who lucked out really. I mean, uh, I, I, I did it down here for so long, the play-by-play with the Mariners, and, you know, I never I never asked to be to be paid. I volunteered my time for it because I knew eventually that it would that it would pay off. And, you know, when Dan left, um, I did apply for that job uh, when, when Chris Abbott took over, um, and, I, and I didn't get it. And I, wasn't, you know, I knew I wasn't ready at that time. I think that was 2015, I believe, because I'd only been doing uh, Mariner hockey for a couple of years. And I knew I needed some more time, and I was okay with that. And, and then the job, uh, the job came up again, and I said, well, this time let's see if I, I can take a crack at this. And it turned out uh, and I, I got the job, and I was just – I was thrilled. I, I called my dad right away. He's one of my biggest supporters. It was uh, it was awesome. And my, the first question my dad asked me, he said, "Does that mean you're going to be working with Cecil Wright?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "Yeah, I think I'm going to be working with Cecil Wright." So, and Cecil's absolutely absolutely fantastic. He's been great to me and he's taught me a lot too. So, well, you can listen to Cecil on News ninety five seven. I think it's every Friday, isn't it, with the sports wrap? Yeah, yeah, he's on with Rick Howe every Friday. Yeah, he, he's been doing that for a long time. And he has his own uh, radio show as well, uh, Let's Talk Sports on CIOE, which is a radio station in uh, in Lower Sackville. Have to make sure I tune into that. I did not know that. And I've only, <laughs> myself, I moved to the Maritimes in 2003, so there's still some things that I'm still learning and still finding out. Well, you've been, you've been here, you know, that, that's a long time, so... <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep teaching the ropes. You're an honorary Maritimer now, so that's, 
Oh, the don the don air intake. I'll tell you a true story. The first time I ever had don air was in 2003, and let's just say that it was a gut wrenching experience. Um, was from Lawrencetown Pizza down in Lawrencetown by the beach, and did not go well. I did not touch don air till I think it was 2007. After that experience, and ever since then, I have been absolutely killing it. I dabbled in delivering for Ronnie's Pizza as a second job and fell in love with their Donair meat and have been hooked on the Bubba Donair sub ever since. <laughs> I love it. That's, that's great news. That's great news. Uh, and that, that's an important question for, for a maritimer. So I think you're in. Uh, you, you've, you've definitely got that, that honorary card, my friend. I love it. Well, I looked at it like this. I said if I stayed in the maritimes, for the other half of my life. So I'm 34, so 17 years in Ontario, now 17 years here. So that makes me half and half, so I can say that I'm half Nova Scotian now. Well, we're honored to have you. <laughs> well, before I wrap up here with you, Kevin, i got to ask you one question. Obviously, the NHL draft is going to be going sometime in November. Alexis Lafreniere is going to be going first overall, but we do not know to what team. Obviously, the Q keeps cranking out talent there's a placeholder team that will draft him. In your mind, what team gets him, and what team is the best fit for Mr. Lafreniere? <laughs> well, I mean, if everything falls into place, I mean, the way that uh, that it should have been, it should have been the Detroit Red Wings, right? But that's not happening. Uh, boy, what a mess at the NHL draft lottery, eh? That was that was something else. But it creates so much more excitement. Uh, for for the fans of the of the unknown team, and you know, what a what a consolation prize for one of those teams to get to you know lose out in the qualifying round. But hey, you have a chance to draft Alexi Lafreniere, a, a player that could change your franchise for life and maybe you know lead you to a Stanley Cup. I've uh, I've had a real fortunate uh, time to watch Alexi Lafreniere uh, play. I we covered three games in the 2019 playoffs with Lafreniere against the Cape Breton Eagles. And, and he was just completely, completely dominant on the ice, made everyone around him better. Uh, and that was, you know, at the age of, of uh, 17, uh, or 16, rather. So uh, just that dominant at that age. And this year, of course, again, again, lighting it up. So uh, what team gets him? That's a, that's a good question. A lot of people, and as we fans, we wouldn't like to see this, obviously, but a lot of people do Don't want to say it. go to Montreal. Because, oh. You know? I know, I know. They want to see him go to the Habs, and he would fit for them just so, so well. He'd be the, he'd be a great player for the for the Montreal Canadiens. But to see him in blue and white, that would be, that would be interesting too. I mean, how would how would the Leafs pay him after three years? That's a good question. But we take him on an entry level salary for three years, wouldn't we? I think we take him for three years. I mean, I think this year the Leafs are going to go deep. But if we were to get him. I mean, you can make some concessions, obviously. You can probably move some guys out who are maybe not fitting the mold anymore. Um, you know, you look at a Tavares, I don't know, a Muzzin, whoever. You would find a way to make that salary work with a player as talented as him. The team that I think, and it keeps ringing in my head for some reason, as kind of like a changing of the guard, I see him going to Pittsburgh. I see Montreal beating Pittsburgh, and I see Pittsburgh getting him. And him being the next one to usher in, it seems to happen in Pittsburgh a lot. You look at it with Yager and Lemieux, 
and then you got now Crosby and Malkin took over, and then you're going to have the next wave, which could be Lafreniere with whoever else he's going to be playing with that's a young, talented player. But it seems to happen in Pittsburgh in waves. So that's my thought. Well, that's, that's interesting. So you see Montreal coming in as a 12 and beating Pittsburgh as, as a 5. That's uh, oh, I, You're not the first person that I've heard say that. I mean, a, a healthy Carey Price, when he's on, he's the best goaltender in the world. So, Listen, I'll uh, give it... And then they're getting Jonathan Drouin back. I mean, I think they're fully healthy still. And they had a pretty good run at the start of the year before all their injuries. Well, see, it was Eric Engels who convinced me on this, and I'll give him full credit and full marks. The only question mark for them, obviously, is going to be Domi. Um, if Domi can play, obviously, with uh, with the diabetes and, you know, the COVID, they may not let him play. But, you know, the team, like you said, they are healthy. And this is coming from a Leafs fan, mind you, that I'm talking about them, you know, advancing. And how sweet would it be? The most COVID thing, the COVID cup, whatever you want to call it, it would be so leafy for the Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens to finally meet in the playoffs and the Leafs maybe to finally win the cup and there'd be no parade, no fans, no fanfare, an asterisk beside it because, you know, it's just the Leafs. It's going to be the hugest asterisk. Everybody's going to say, oh, they only won because. But this is uh, this is the Leafs' year, man. This is going to happen. It, it has to happen this way because only the Toronto Maple Leafs are allowed to, uh, to profit from this, to win from this, and not have all the usual accolades and things thrown upon you that you would get after winning the cup. It's just going to be, here's the cup, now get back to your bus and go home. But that's fine, because you know what? I've heard this quote before somewhere. They can never take it away. When you win, they can never take it away. They, Stanley Cup champion. They never take the W out of the win column unless you're in some sort of combat sports and you pop positive for steroids. So <laughs> other than that, when it's team sports, you don't get your Ws taken away. So I think the Leafs do it. I think Montreal beats Pittsburgh. And like I said, I think I see Lafreniere on the Pittsburgh Penguins and that would be scary to watch for at least a couple of years as Crosby transitions out with Malkin. But just imagine a power play of Lafreniere, Malkin, and Crosby. Unbelievable. And you know what? Another player Pittsburgh has in their system, uh, Samuel Poulin from the Sherbrooke Phoenix. Yep. Uh, watch out for him in, in a few years because he'll, he'll get on that Penguins team and make noise. I guarantee it. Poulin was, you know, behind Lafreniere, I think Poulin might have been the best player in the league last year. He was that good. Well, there you go. There's that one-two punch we just talked about coming up in waves. There's Poulin, Lafreniere yep. will be the next one-two for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Well, Kevin, it has been awesome talking to you about your career, obviously about Eastlink, the return to play for you know the Q and the MHL. Where can Kevin, Kevin? Where can people find your work and find you? Uh, just watch uh, Eastlink Community TV, um, channel six ten ten. Lately, I've been doing a lot of Skype interviews. Uh, which has been nice to connect with uh, with different folks, and um, so those, those usually air on Eastlink Magazine, which can be found uh, Sundays at 7 p.m. New episodes with uh, Kenzie Lamond as the host, and uh, Eastlink Kevin on Twitter. I mean, I'm always uh, you know tweeting out uh, our schedules, uh, you know what's coming up, so you can find us uh, find us there, and hopefully you can find us uh, in front of the camera once again in the fall if everything goes according to plan. Well, hopefully it does go according to plan, and I get to see you guys around the rink when everything gets back to normal. I want to thank you so much for your time, sir, and we will talk again when everything gets back up and running. James, it's been a pleasure, and uh, take care and stay safe. You as well, sir. Talk to you soon. So, ladies and gentlemen, as you heard, that was Kevin Northup of Eastlink TV. 
Great interview with him, talking about all different topics, coming back with hockey. Cannot wait to get back around the rink and see everyone. Obviously, this is a more Maritime-centric podcast, but check out Kevin Northup on Twitter. Be sure to follow all his socials. And hey, if you can get a chance, find a live stream or something if you're not in the area, and check out the man on Eastlink TV. Absolutely awesome guy. Top shelf as they come. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's Offside for today. Take her easy and stay classy. Thank you.